0: Welcome to the Best of St. Joseph Radio, a program that for more than 30 years has sought out eloquent speakers throughout the world to help explain, clarify, and evangelize the Catholic faith, people who seek to put Christ first in their lives, living the Father's will, witnessing to His grace, love, and forgiveness. Now with the aid of technology, we are able to reach the four corners of the world with the gospel message where Christ Himself did say, those who have ears ought to hear. Brothers and sisters, sit back, relax, and open your ears and heart to the good news on the best of St. Joseph Radio Presents.
1: Good evening, everyone. Let's begin once again with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Father of light, from whom all good gifts come, send your Spirit into our lives with the power of a mighty wind. And by the flame of your wisdom, open the horizons of our minds. Loosen our tongues to sing your praise in words beyond the power of speech. Without your Spirit, we can never raise our voices in words of peace, Or announce the truth that Jesus is Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Mary, Mother of Mercy, pray for us. St. Joseph, pray for us. St. Elizabeth Ann Seton, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. A reading from the letter of St. Paul to the Philippians. Though he was in the form of God, Jesus did not deem equality with God something to be grasped at. Rather, he emptied himself and took the form of a slave being born of the likeness of men. He was known to be of human estate, and it was thus that he humbled himself, obediently accepting even death and death on a cross. Because of this, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name above every other name. So that at Jesus' name, every knee must bend in the heavens, on the earth, and under the earth, and every tongue proclaim to the glory of God the Father, Jesus Christ is Lord. The word of the Lord. Please stand. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. On one occasion, Jesus spoke thus. Father, Lord of heaven and earth, to you I offer praise for what you have hidden from the learned and the clever you have revealed to the merest children. Father, it is true. You have graciously willed it so. Everything has been given over to me by my Father. No one knows the Son but the Father, and no one knows the Father but the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wishes to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and find life burdensome, and I will refresh you. Take my yoke upon your shoulders and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart. Your souls will find rest, for my yoke is easy and my burden light. The Gospel of the Lord. Thanks. I want to speak this evening about the foundation of virtue. And I want to begin with a story from the American Civil War. In May of 1863, when the Civil War was at its peak, the Union and Confederate armies had converged on the town of Chancellorsville in northern Virginia. And at that time, the Union army had a new and controversial commander. General Joseph Hooker. They called him uh, Fighting Joe, Fighting Joe Hooker. Now, General Hooker was a proud man. He had gained the reputation for being profane, vain, arrogant, and ambitious. He was a heavy drinker, a notorious womanizer, a blasphemer, a braggart. He had a violent temper and a foul mouth. He allowed every kind of immorality to go on inside and outside of the soldiers camp. He always allowed a small army of gamblers, prostitutes, and hucksters to follow the Union army wherever it went. Hooker was a thoroughly godless man, and everyone knew it. The night before the Battle of Chancellorsville, General Hooker gathered his generals together for a war council. at that meeting, he bragged. He boasted about what he was going to do to General Lee and the Southerners. He said he would show them no mercy. He said, let God have mercy on them, because I'll have none. Then Hooker made the statement that shocked them all. He raised a hand, pointed a finger toward heaven, and he said, Almighty God could not stop me from winning the victory tomorrow. Later that night, General Winfield Scott Hancock went back to his tent and wrote a letter to his wife and said, how can we ever hope to win under a commander who would dare to utter such blasphemy? Well, General Hooker planned to attack the Confederates, but the next day, he got the surprise of his life because General Lee attacked him. Fighting Joe Hooker was taken totally by surprise, caught completely off guard. In all the shock and confusion of battle, the men on his staff said that a kind of paralysis came over him. He became almost paralyzed with fear and indecision. A number of hours went by before Hooker ever came out of his headquarters to direct the battle, but by that time, it was too late. The Southerners pulled off one of the most spectacular flanking movements in military history, and they gave the Federal Army a bloody beating. For the North, it was a humiliating defeat. President Abraham Lincoln sacked Joseph Hooker. And Hooker fell into disgrace. He had to live with the disgrace of that defeat and that blasphemy for the rest of his life. And his very name, his name itself became disgraced because after Chancellorsville, his name was forever associated with the infamous profession of the immoral women he allowed to follow his camp. You see, this is what happens to the proud and the arrogant. You know, the punishment for pride is somehow in some mysterious way built into the order of God's creation. Jesus said, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Friends, do you understand why it is that pride is such a danger to the life of the soul? Why pride is the most deadly of the seven capital sins? Pride was the sin of Lucifer and the fallen angels who said, I will not serve. Pride was the sin of Adam and Eve who wanted to be like God and decide for themselves what is right, what is wrong, what is true, what is false, what is good, and what is evil without reference to God. The sin of Adam and Eve was the perfect, cold-blooded sin of prideful disobedience. It was pride issuing in disobedience, disobedience in sin, sin bringing pain, suffering, misery, and death into the world. Pride is the sin of the theological dissenters of our day who think they know better than the Holy Spirit. They always get it wrong. And every year they are more far out than they were the year before. The Bible calls pride the reservoir of all sin. In the book of Proverbs, it says, When pride comes, disgrace comes, but with the humble there is wisdom. It said, Pride goes before the fall. God will repay to the full those who act with pride. What is pride? The Latin term is hubris. Pride is that exaggerated self-love that inclines us to see ourselves as being superior, better than others. Pride is that insidious desire for self-exaltation that leads us to seek our own honor and glory apart from the honor and glory of God. Pride sees the self as the center of the universe, the center of all things, the measure of all truth the measure of all reality, the standard of all morality. The great Jesuit theologian, Father John Hardin, whose cause for canonization has now been introduced in Rome by Cardinal Burke, said shortly before he died that we are living in a society, in a culture that is no longer Christian. We are living in what we can call a post-Christian age, characterized by a new paganism. What is paganism? The essence of paganism is idolatry. And the most insidious form of idolatry is the worship of the self, the exaltation of the self over God. Pride sets the self in opposition to God's wisdom and will. Pride sets up the self as the judge over God's word and God's law, the judge over everything and everyone. Pride will always seek to be the center of attention. Pride has always got to have its own way. Pride will always seek to control, dominate, and manipulate. When we examine our consciences and look back in our past lives, invariably we see that so many of our worst moments worst humiliations bad behaviors biggest blunders embarrassing falls broken relationships professional failures life's most bitter regrets and memories can be traced back to our own foolish foolish pride if we were in a baptist church right now this would be the point where all of you would say amen we're Catholic, we use the Latin pronunciation, amen, (laughs) right? It means, yes, it is true. You know, it's true. It's always been true in my life. Pride is the great destroyer of marriages, a stumbling block, the holiness of life, an obstacle to grace and repentance, a mental block to forgiveness, peace, and reconciliation. It is a source of endless self-deception, vanity, and folly, through it will come the lust for power. It is the catalyst of anger, violence, and war. Pride unchecked leads to family breakup. It's the biggest home wrecker of them all. Pride is an affront to God, an open door to the devil, and a gateway to hell. And if you give it free reign, if you let pride rule your life, it will always be for you a disaster in the making. An accident waiting to happen, because it always backfires on us in the end. And there is only one antidote for it. There's only one cure. Humility. The tendency to pride is overcome only by its opposite corresponding virtue, the virtue of humility, the root of all virtue, without which no other virtue can grow very much in your life. For all of us, there is a simple rule in the spiritual life. No humility, no sanctity, no humility, no merit in your good works in the sight of Almighty God. Pride, even though it may be secret, hidden pride in the form of selfishness or ulterior motives, will vitiate, that is, cancel out the meritorious nature of your good works in the sight of Almighty God. In other words, you can't store up any treasure in heaven if your treasure is tainted, poisoned by pride. St. John Vianney, the curé of R, said this, Without humility, everything else is like a huge heap of straw we have piled up. But when the first gust of wind is blown over and scattered far and wide... The devil has no respect for those devotions which are not founded upon humility because he knows, well, he can get rid of them whenever he pleases. So what is humility? Here's a simple rule. Keep this in mind. It's a simple, classic little definition that comes to us from St. Teresa of Avila, doctor of the church. She said, humility is truth. Humility is Truth. What truth? It's the truth about us. The truth about ourselves. That is to say, humility is the moral virtue by which we have a correct opinion of ourselves and see ourselves as God sees us. It is a true recognition of what we are and what we are worth in the eyes of God and in the sight of others. Humility is the virtue that restrains us in our unruly desire for personal glory and it helps us to recognize the fact that there is an infinite distinction between the creature and the creator, God, without whom we are nothing and can do nothing. With Jesus Christ as our model, we say that humility is a kind of self-emptying, an emptying of self that allows God to work in us with his grace. Now, the word humility comes from the Latin word humus, which means earth, soil, dust, dirt. The word humility reminds us of God's word to us in the book of Genesis. Remember, O man, that you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Some of the newer translations say, remember that you are dirt, and to dirt you shall return. Now, in the spiritual life, in a mystical sense, we are called to cultivate the interior garden. That is, the garden of the soul. Ever heard that term, the garden of the soul? So that it brings forth good works, good fruits, an increase in virtue. And those of you who have done any gardening or farming know very well you can't grow anything unless you've got the right kind of soil. In the spiritual life, the good soil is humility. Humility reminds us that every good thing we have, every good gift we enjoy, every grace and blessing, every talent we can use comes from God and not from within ourselves. The Apostle St. Paul put it like this, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. This treasure we possess in earthen vessels to make it clear that its surpassing power comes from God and not from us. St. Francis de Sales said, humility and charity are the principal virtues. They act as mother hens while all the other virtues follow them like little chicks. On the other hand, pride is mother and source of every sin. Now, it's important to understand what humility is not the true humility should not be confused with timidity, mediocrity, lack of initiative, self-loathing, defeatism, pessimism, and all the like. True humility does not deny the gifts, the talents, the real abilities that God has given to us. It just means we don't claim those as our own, but as truly coming from God, whom, as it says in Scripture, in whom we live and move and have our being, of whose fullness we have all received, knowing that God wants and expects and demands that we use those talents, those good gifts, with right intention, with the help of His grace, to build up the mystical body of Christ the Church for His greater honor and glory and for the salvation of souls. In my years in the priesthood, I have known people who have a very distorted concept, a false notion of what humility is. People who will... Claim humility as a convenient excuse to do little or nothing. People who have plenty of time and talent on their hands and they won't use it. You try to get them involved in some kind of an apostolic work or a charitable cause or a ministry of service, and they will invariably say something like this (laughs) Oh, Father, who am I? I'm nobody, what can I do? <laughs> I'll never amount to anything, little old me, good for nothing. I'd like to do more, but you know, I'm just, I'm so unworthy. I just can't, I could never, oh no. Not me. Him. Go to her, right? Forget about me. This is a bubble-brained, wrong-headed notion of what it means to serve God in humility. Here's a key point. The virtue of humility and trust in God go hand in hand. Let me say that again for you. The virtue of humility and confidence in God go hand in hand. Case in point. I know of a Monsignor, great priest, great pastor, a holy man, entirely faithful to the church, intellectually gifted, capable administrator, respected by everyone who knew him. Rome wanted to make him a bishop, give him a diocese. He turned it down. His response was, I'm not worthy. I am unworthy to be a successor of the apostles. So the office of bishop and the diocese were offered to another priest who really was unworthy. He accepted. Fifteen years later, that diocese was in shambles and that bishop resigned in scandal. A decade has gone by, that diocese is still a mess. I don't claim to know God's plan for those two men. But again, the point that I'm making is this. Humility and confidence, trust in God go hand in hand. You're going to find that many times in your life, God is going to call on you to do things you cannot hope to do by human strength alone, things that are far, far beyond your natural abilities. Nothing is impossible with God. Jesus says, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. St. Paul said, I willingly boast of my weakness so the power of Christ can rest on me. St. Teresa said, God plus one is an army. That is to say, yes, we're all weak, sinful creatures. Yes, we are all little in the sight of Almighty God. Yes, without Him we can do nothing. But thanks be to God, he is the one who makes something out of nothing. Now, this has got to be understood. To be a little soul, a humble soul in God's sight, does not mean that the Christian is called to be some kind of a doormat, a pushover, or a wimp in serious matters especially when it comes to standing up for the truth, defending your faith, defending the family. If I were to ask you to give me a good working definition of love, love in a truly Christian sense, what would you say? Here's the best one, I think. Love means wanting what is truly best for the people that you love. Wanting what is truly best for your neighbor. What could be better than God? What could be better than heaven? Perfect eternal happiness in God's heavenly kingdom. That's why the greatest love of all is concern for your neighbor's eternal salvation. Friends, it is never merciful to affirm people in their sins or just to keep your mouth shut, to remain silent in the face of what is wrong. That's the most merciless thing that I can think of. Look at the lives of the saints. They were great in humility, but at the same time, they were courageous, tenacious, audacious defenders of truth and opponents of evil. A great example for our time, I think, is Mother Teresa. Blessed Teresa of Calcutta. One time, Mother Teresa was invited to go to Russia, to Moscow, to receive an award for her humanitarian work in the old Soviet communist government. And mother reluctantly accepted the invitation, not because she was seeking human praise or worldly honors, uh, but because she had tried for years to open a house of the missionaries at charity in Russia and she could never do it. The communists would never give permission. So mother thought, well, maybe the Holy Spirit is opening a door for us here. Maybe this is the opportunity we were looking for. She turned out to be right. So Mother went to Moscow, and the Soviets held this lavish award ceremony, and they invited world news organizations, and Mother Teresa gave a speech. And during her speech, she noticed that the communist interpreter on the other side of the stage was deliberately mistranslating her words and turning her speech into a diatribe against the US. American imperialism capitalism, and warmongering, and all the like. Mother Teresa interrupted her speech. And in front of everyone, she walked across the stage, stood in front of the translator, shook a finger in his face, and said, stop. Stop. That is not what I said, and you know it. She said, either you will translate my words correctly, or I will walk out of here right now, and all this will be over." He got the message. She walked back across the stage and finished her speech. When it was all over, one of the sisters with her said, "'Mother, how did you know? How did you know what he was saying? You don't speak Russian.' And mother said, "'No, no, I do not speak Russian but the Holy Spirit does. (laughs) Now we can say that the greatest obstacle to true Christian discipleship is pride. And I think most of us will have to struggle every day with the movements of pride within ourselves. And the great danger of it is that often it can be subtle and subconscious. And if you are not constantly on your guard, constantly on the lookout for it, ever so vigilant, The devil can use it to trip you up. Why is pride so dangerous? It's precisely because we all want to be somebody. Everybody wants to be somebody. We all want to excel. We all want to stand out from the crowd, win the respect and admiration of others. You know, the American way is to pull yourself up by the bootstraps, be a success. Make your mark in the world. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with that at all. God does call us to do the best that we can with the good gifts, the talents he's given to us. It's like the old army recruiting ad. Be all that you can be. Remember that? Be all that you can be. That's great as long as we remember who is in charge, whose service we are in, who's got to get the glory and the praise. And in a Christian sense, there's only one way you can be all that you can be. You've got to be what you were created to be, a saint, a saint. Nothing less than that. That's what greatness is. You know, in a certain sense, all of us are called to greatness in life. We're called to be humble, but at the same time, we are called to be great. Great, that is, in the sight of heaven. Think of the life of our Blessed Mother, Mary, the most humble of all of God's creatures. Think of her words in the Gospel of St. Luke, her Magnificat. Mary said... My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked with favor on his lowly servant. From this day, all generations will call me blessed. The Almighty has done great things for me. Holy is his name. What did Our Lady do? She acknowledged readily the great things God had done for her. She didn't deny it. She didn't try to hide it, but she was always giving God the praise, always giving God the glory, always directing everything back to God. We honor Mary as the humble handmaid of the Lord. Mary, little in her own estimation, but incredibly great in the sight of Almighty God. God made something great happen in Mary. The greatest event in the history of the world, the incarnation, took place within her virginal womb. That is something that God intends to be known and understood and honored. Mary's perfect obedience to God's call, her yes, her fiat, reversed the disobedience of Eve and set in motion the events that would make the paschal mystery a reality. That is something that God intends to be known and understood and honored. It is no coincidence that the humble handmaid of the Lord is the masterpiece of God's creation. She is the masterpiece of God's grace on earth, the masterpiece of God's glory in heaven. It is interesting to take note of the fact that the high point, the crowning glory in all of God's creation, is a woman the woman of revelation, the woman clothed with the sun, with a crown of twelve stars on her head, the Queen of Heaven. She is the immaculate conception, preserved free from every stain of sin by the foreseen merits, the divinely anticipated merits of our Lord's passion and death on Calvary applied to her soul in advance. Mary was free from all sin, free from original sin, free from actual sin, free to concentrate all the powers of her soul, all the powers of her being to the fulfillment of God's plan for our redemption. You know, it's not so hard at all to understand the dogma of the Immaculate Conception. Mary, full of grace... Full of grace before baptism, full of grace before our Lord's birth. It's a matter of theological common sense as far as I'm concerned. Think of it this way. God created his own mother. If you could create your own mother, how would you make her? (laughs) I know how I would make my mother. All beautiful, all holy, all pure, all immaculate. That's exactly what God did. You know, greatness is not what greatness is in the sight of the world. We know all the things this world holds in high esteem. Wealth, success, status, power, pleasure, fame, physical beauty, (laughs) athletic prowess, and all the like. What you are, what you truly are, is what you are in the sight of Almighty God. Nothing more, nothing less. You know what greatness is in the sight of God? Greatness is holiness. Holiness is the alignment of the human will with the will of Almighty God. Holiness. Greatness is the perfect fulfillment of God's word and God's will in your life, no matter who you are or where you are or what you are. That is how even the most little, hidden, humble, unknown soul can be, great in the sight of heaven. That's what makes a saint. Archbishop Fulton Sheen, in his commentary on human pride, said this. There are several ways to avoid loving God. Deny that you're a sinner. Pretend that religion is for the ignorant and the superstitious, but not for the truly learned such as yourself. Insist that the sole purpose of religion is social service. Judge religion by whether or not it is accepted by the important people of the world. Avoid all contemplation self-examination and inquiry into the moral state of your soul." End quote. You know, on those rare occasions, those sad occasions, when I've had to refuse someone absolution in the confessional, it's always been for the same reason. It's always been because that person was absolutely convinced of his or her own goodness his or her own righteousness while at the same time holding on to some grave sin with no firm purpose of amendment, no intention of changing their ways. My brothers and sisters, the virtue of humility demands that we recognize the fact that all of us are sinners in need of God's mercy. There is no mercy. There can be no mercy without repentance. We talk about the infinite love of God. We say that God's love is unconditional, entirely true. But then there are some who try to say that God's acceptance is unconditional, God's forgiveness is unconditional, wrong, not so. There can be no forgiveness of sins without repentance. No forgiveness of sins without true contrition. And there are three elements to true contrition, right? Sorrow for sin, hatred for sin, and a firm purpose of amendment, which means that you're going to try with the help of God's grace to avoid the same sins in the future. Psalm 51 says, A humble, contrite heart, O God, you will not spurn. You know, both the facts of history and your own experience, I think, will tell you that often it can be the case that very important people, VIPs, can be humble. While average guys, ordinary Joes, can be full of pride and arrogance. Big shots can be humble. Little shots can be proud. Great example of humility for our time, Pope John Paul II. In the 26 years of his pontificate, Pope John Paul II traveled around the world 13 times. (laughs) He visited 134 countries, most of which were receiving a pope for the first time. Remember what Pope John Paul would do when he got off the plane in another country? He'd get down on his hands and knees on the tarmac and kiss the ground as a mark of affection, respect for the people of that land and their, their customs. Hmm? It is said that Pope John Paul II went to confession every day or every other day whenever the opportunity would arise. On Holy Thursday, celebrating the Mass of the Lord's Supper and conducting the ceremonial washing of the feet, Pope John Paul II would not only wash the feet of the subjects, he would kiss the feet. That's humility. It is said that President Abraham Lincoln was a very humble man. One day during the Civil War, President Lincoln was visiting the wounded in a hospital in Washington, D.C., and he was walking through one of those big old hospital doors that would swing both ways, and there was a big, pearly young man rushing through the same door at the same time, gone the opposite way, and he crashed into the president. Knocked President Lincoln down on the floor. Didn't recognize him. And here's this big, arrogant young guy standing over the president of the United States, pointing a finger down at him, yelling at him, saying, why don't you look where you're going, you big, long, lanky string bean? President Lincoln calmly stood up, brushed himself off, and said, young man, what is troubling you on the inside? When I was a young army officer, I was privileged to meet General Omar Bradley. General Bradley was a five-star general at that time, the highest ranking man in the American military, historic figure of World War II. He was the general who led American troops in the Normandy Invasion on D-Day. He had been the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. He was a legend in his time. But everyone knew that General Bradley was a very humble man, always a kind man, never looked down on any GI. One time during World War II, General Bradley was leading American troops in combat in Sicily and he was up at the front where the hottest action was taking place. And the Germans were shelling them all over the place. And artillery rounds were bursting all around them. And General Bradley had to run and take cover. So he ran over and jumped into a ditch by the side of the road. And about a minute later, a private came running over and jumped into the ditch next to him and yelled over to him, who is the idiot in charge of this operation? <laughs> General Bradley had his head down under his helmet and yelled back to him. Wherever he is, they ought to hang him. (laughs) Pride, lack of humility, is the great destroyer of human relationships, the great destroyer of marriage and family life, especially among those pals who cannot find the charity and humility within themselves to say the words, I'm sorry, I love you. Pride is the evil tree that bears rotten fruits in the form of selfishness, egotism, lack of forgiveness, lack of compassion, breakdown, interpersonal communication, envy, rivalry, suspicion, rash judgment, rudeness, denial of sin, you name it. I remember one time hearing this poor, silly woman came on TV telling her life story, tales of woe, and she was saying, I dated this guy for several years, and a lot of the time, he treated me like dirt. And then, after we were married, (laughs) after they were married, guess what? Things got worse. (laughs) Can you imagine that? God treated her like dirt for all those years, and she married him? How crazy can you get? You want to be miserable? You want to wreck your life? All you have to do is marry someone filled with pride and arrogance. That will do it. There's an old saying the man who is in love with himself will have no rivals. Hmm? Now, here's a question for you How can you detect, how can you discern the movements of pride within yourself? I have a little diagnostic test here. Let me ask you these questions. First, in your heart of hearts, do you see yourself as being better than others because of who you are? What you have or what you know? When you are in conversation with others, do you always seem to call the subject back to yourself you always seem to talk about yourself, your own interests, your own affairs. Are you overly concerned about what other people think of you? Are you always trying to make yourself look good, build yourself up on the sight of others? Are you always ready to stretch the truth, lie, in other words, if that's what it takes to do it? Are you one of those people who has always got to be right, can't stand to be contradicted. Do you stick like glue to your own opinions even when they are definitively proven to be wrong? Do you find it easy to dissent from the teaching of the church in matters of faith and morals? Do you think that you know better than the Holy Spirit, the Holy Scriptures, the whole church, the whole company of the saints? Are you ready to bet your salvation, your immortal soul, on that? That's a sucker's bet. That's the worst pride of all. Are you someone who is ultra-sensitive to criticism? You can't take even a mild fraternal correction and charity for your own good? Are you a gossip? Do you find it easy to gossip? Do you take pleasure in tearing down others? Do you take satisfaction in hearing somebody's good name being torn apart? Do you jump on every chance to point out the faults, the mistakes of others? Never miss a chance to criticize? Are you one of those types who can dish it out but you can't take it? We've all known people who love to poke fun at others, but when they're on the receiving end of a little joke, all of a sudden they get very serious and sometimes (laughs) very angry. Do you find it hard to forgive, even the slightest offense? Do you always feel a need to strike back, get even, ready to hold a grudge? Mother Teresa used to say, to forgive takes love But to forget, to forget takes humility. Is it true to say that a lot of what you do tends to be done for the sake of appearances? Do you always feel the need to be noticed? Do you always seem to be motivated by a desire to win the praise of others, like the Pharisees of old who performed all their good works to be seen and prefer the praise of men to the glory of God? You know, the Holy Spirit wants no part of that. Does a lot of this sound familiar? Does it strike a nerve in you? (laughs) If it does, these are the movements of pride. Now, there is, of course, a positive sense in which we can use the term pride. For example, in being conscientious, dependable, Responsible in doing things well, doing things right. For example, taking pride in your work, taking pride in your neighborhood. That is not what I'm talking about here. Here I am talking about the capital fault of pride, right? Inordinate self-love, conceit, and all the like. Hmm? Now, last question. How do we become humble? <laughs> How do we get the virtue of humility? First thing to do, Pray for it. Pray for it. The humble soul prays all the time in radical dependence on God. Second, remember that ordinarily, ordinarily, God humbles us by means of humiliations. And little humiliations tend to come our way every day or quite often. We should accept them as coming from God, permitted by God for our sanctification. Third, have a sense of humor. Don't take yourself so seriously. Fourth, be a joyful person. The humble soul is at peace in the hands of God. St. Teresa used to say, God save us from a sad face, saints. (laughs) Fifth, most importantly, imitate Imitate the one who is always the perfect model of humility, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Jesus who said, blessed are the poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of God. Jesus who humbled himself to share in our humanity. Jesus who taught his disciples to take the lowest place, washed the feet of the apostles, came to serve and not to be served, and said, come and learn of me, for I am meek and humble of heart. Jesus Christ, the eternal Word made flesh, the second person of the Holy Trinity, the King of kings and Lord of lords, allowed himself to be spat upon, abandoned, betrayed, denied, scourged, mocked, and crucified for love of us and for our salvation, gave himself up to a shameful public death. That, my friends, is the humility of God. Amen. <laughs> Thank all of you for coming. Another great turnout tonight. We'll pray together in the litany of humility. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. <laughs> oh, Jesus, meek and humble of heart, hear me the common response is, Deliver me Jesus! from the desire of being esteemed, Deliver Me Jesus! from the desire of being extolled, Deliver Me Jesus! from the desire of being honored, Deliver Me Jesus! from the desire of being praised, Deliver Me Jesus! from the desire of being preferred to others, Deliver Me Jesus! From the desire of being consulted, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being approved, deliver me, Jesus. Jesus. From the fear of being humiliated, deliver me, 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 Jesus. From the fear of being despised, deliver me, me, Jesus. From the fear of suffering rebukes, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being slandered, Deliver deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being forgotten, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being ridiculed, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being wronged, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being suspected, deliver me, Jesus. The common response to the next section is, Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. That others may be loved more than I. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it, that others may be esteemed more than I. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it, that in the opinion of the world others may increase and I may decrease. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it, that others may be chosen and I set aside. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it, that others may be praised and I unnoticed, Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it, that others may be preferred to me in everything. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it, that others become holier than I, provided that I may become as holy as I should. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.